0: But where are you really from?
1: A podcast about the Asian American struggle.
0: Hi, I'm Jessie Lin.
1: And I'm Angela Lynn, and welcome back to another episode of But Where Are You Really From? We're doing something really different today. We are creating a different mini-series within our podcast called Reflections, where we want to give all of you your chance to tell your listener stories. There are a lot of reasons why we want to share listener stories, one of which is that usually it's just Jesse and me talking. Sometimes we have guests to bring in an outside perspective, but it's fairly limited to to us on the microphone. So we wanted to have listener stories so that we could get different perspectives, not just our own.
0: Piggybacking off of that, we started this podcast with the idea of trying to become closer to our community, what it means to be Asian American. So we want to open that dialogue, create an open forum with you guys and build that community so we can feel closer to a group of people and can better understand what it means to be Asian American.
1: Because we want to tap into the broader community by bringing in your stories and a broader diversity of voices into the podcast, we wanted to make this content, frankly, more interesting and more relatable to more of you since Jesse and I only have so many of our own experiences. So I'm sure by bringing in other people's stories, there's only more to be shared and feel akin to.
0: We also want to use this opportunity to share and amplify lesser told stories, so things we may not be so familiar with from our experience as being Asian Americans. So again, please do send, keep sending us messages, feedback and stories so that we can continue to share them back out to everybody that listens.
1: Okay, so I think we'll just dive right into our first listener story. This one is from Julie And here it goes. When I was in middle school or high school, I was not in a great mental state. This translated to physical manifestations, which is why my mom took me to see a doctor. After the test came back with no physical reasons causing my condition, the doctor said that I was probably depressed. She prescribed me medication to help and recommended a therapist. When I asked my mom if we were going to fill the prescription, she said, They're wrong. I was a doctor in China, so I know best. There's nothing wrong with you, and you need to just buck up. Every time I struggled since then, I'd go back to my mom's words about bucking up and getting over it. Even when friends would tell me to go see someone, I didn't believe them because my mom told me it wasn't for me way back when. I didn't really realize how much it affected me until recently when I started working in consulting and was staffed on a really hard project that required me to work 120 hours per week. I didn't get my period for months because I was too stressed. I eventually had a mental breakdown at work and had to go on medical leave for a few months. I didn't tell my mom the real reason I was taking medical leave and I told her I was taking time off between projects. She didn't ask what the medical leave was for, but I think she could sense that I was taking it for mental health reasons, but didn't want to confirm that. Looking back on it now, talking to someone really helped me a lot. It gave me time to reflect on why I didn't talk to someone sooner and made me realize that therapy is normal. If you break your foot, you'd go see a doctor, and mental health is just like that. I might not need to see someone all the time, but if I get sick mentally, I should go see someone.
0: I really feel for Julie. Like, I can't say that I've been in the same situation, but definitely I've been in this situation where I've just found it really hard to talk to my parents about Mm -hmm. things that were like really difficult in my life. I didn't come out to my mom until I was like 21, like basically about to leave Mm -hmm. college. And then we didn't really talk about it for like a few years after that. And in the in-between, like there was so much stuff happening in my life, but because I was gay, we just didn't communicate about it. But I think at the end of that time period, it was very difficult, but I did sit down and have a conversation with her about it. And I think we're in a better place for it. I do want to acknowledge that it, is, it can be very difficult sometimes to have conversations with our parents because of the language barrier, because of the cultural barriers, just the difference differences in our lives. But I think despite that there's some common ground that can be found so i hope that julie and her mom can really connect on this at some point in the future
1: yeah beyond the language barrier and cultural barrier i also feel like there's just this like additional barrier with asian parents of like they just don't like to or know how to talk about emotions like hard topics like that because i feel like when i've been like really sad in the past and like Try to have those conversations with my mom she just doesn't really know how to react Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of similar to what Julie is saying here like either she kind of brushed it off or she'd be like oh well you'll get over it or whatever because but like I could tell that she wasn't saying that to be mean or or like crude about it it was more just like she didn't know what else to say so she was just like well well, let's let's just quickly move on because i'm uncomfortable trying to like navigate your sobbing in front of me
0: honestly unfortunately i have to say that the brunt of that work like the onus of it is like on us Mm -hmm. and what i mean by that is when i finally talked to my mom about it i was in a place where i felt like i fully accepted myself like i was okay okay with being gay and because I was comfortable with that then I was able to have what I felt like was a no pressure conversation with my mom to be like this thing like that we discussed is still here and I'm still here and like I'm still fine and I'm still okay but we have to talk about it because it's a huge part of my life and I think the same thing with mental health like we have to talk about it it's a huge part of your overall health and your overall life But unfortunately, like I said, I think the onus has to come to us where we have processed it enough that we can have just like a normal non-pressure conversation with our parents about it. Because as you mentioned, they don't necessarily have the facilities to deal with those like emotionally charged conversations.
1: Another big thing that stood out to me was seeking help because I feel like some people's like hesitancy with trying therapy is they feel like once you start therapy, you're like gonna have to go to therapy for the rest of your life or something. It's like that's not the case. Like you can choose to do that because regular maintenance of your mental health is a good thing. And if you can afford to do that, like good for you, you probably should. But like I think a lot of people do more like what she's saying. It's like recognize when in your life you need it and like seek out that help for those specific moments in your life. Um, But it's not like a lifelong commitment or anything.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that. But I just want to add, there's nothing wrong if you need to go see the therapist all the time. Like if you have a, like if you have any other chronic condition, you go see a specialist like Mm -hmm. all the time. So It's kind of the whole like go see preventative care doctor, like your primary care versus going to urgent care. Like you shouldn't feel like you have to go to the psychiatrist, psychologist at the very last minute when you're like stretched to your breaking point. Like, you know, if you start to feel a little tattery or under the weather, mentally speaking, you should just go if you can afford it. Hopefully it doesn't matter how many times you, you need to go you should go to take care of
1: yourself okay well thank you julie for sharing your mental health story i think it's really important for people to be sharing those kinds of stories again to like normalize that seeking help is good it's normal and it's healthy so do it what you got jesse yeah
0: so our next listener's story is from annie and here it goes First of all, thank you for creating this awesome piece of media. When I listen to the pod, I find myself usually nodding through each episode because of how much I recognize the points you make and the ways you two have navigated the Asian American experience. I've been enjoying the fortune cookie <laughs> Rex so far too. After listening to your latest episode on filial piety, I wanted to share my experience with this old ass <laughs> Confucian virtue, because it's one where I actually had a slightly different experience than what you both shared. While I know what filial piety is and the expectations, duties, etc. tied up with it, my parents actually hardly emphasized the virtue when they raised me. For sure, I did what I was told, mostly, but when we did fight, they never pulled the you're being a bad or unfilial daughter card. I'm now working, but they don't ask for part of my paycheck. My mom has even told me that when she gets old, I should put her in a retirement. (laughs) I'm not the one that immigrated 7,000 plus miles from the land of Confucius to a foreign country, yet I was the one that was scandalized when she said that. There are probably a couple reasons behind this. My parents are slightly more westernized than average immigrants, and I'm naturally not the rebellious type, so I doubt they weren't ever really concerned I'd disgrace the family name. But I think a considerable factor among these is the fact that among our extended family back in China, where that virtue is much more important, filial piety hasn't really worked out great. Namely, there is a ton of drama between the generations. On my dad's side, there is currently a large schism between his mom and his younger sister and her immediate family. And on my mom's side, her sisters have squandered most of their mom's savings on bad investments and personal expenditures. Are my grandmothers taken care of by their relatives? Absolutely. All their material needs are addressed, but a lot of tension and animosity exists as well. My maternal grandmother lives with her eldest aunt. They can't stand each other and both regularly call my mom to complain about the other. (laughs) Not a great case here for why filial piety is a rewarding virtue. That's not to say that filial piety is altogether bad. The fundamental value of taking care and loving your parents is important, but the unilateral responsibility that it places on the child ends up undermining the virtue. On both sides of my family, the sour relationships stem from the dismissive upbringing my aunts received, with all the attention directed to the eldest child instead, in classic traditional Asian fashion. It's understandable how they're bitter as adults, having to be eternally obedient to someone who has wronged them. Would there be less drama if there was a virtue on how parents should treat children at the same intensity and obligation of filial piety? I don't know, but I think the longer these generational disputes have dragged on, the more my parents have shied away from passing on to me the same sense of totalitarian (laughs) obligation. And the more they tell me that my life is my own. Another hot take from my mom, parents in China have kids for the sole purpose of having a caretaker when they age. In any case, I know I'm very lucky to have parents who believe that. And despite what my mom tells me, I have no plans to put them in a retirement home, which I guess makes me filial by being unfilial. Anyways, thanks for reading my long-winded thoughts. Sorry, Angela, I know you told me a few paragraph tops, but you can't stop the overachieving Asian.
1: Uh, first of all, beautiful email, Annie. Like what a beautifully written email now. I agree. Well, I feel like there's so much to unpack in her email because even though she called it mm-hmm. about, she said it was about filial piety, And like kind of is, but it's also about just like all the other embedded values of Asian culture, like how the eldest son is more valuable than everyone else Mm -hmm. and therefore is treated the best and that how that causes resentment. And I love, well, no, I don't love, but I like that she pointed out that. The grandma is taken care of physically but then there's all this like chaos happening around and i think that's really like a product of the fact that filial piety again is like taught more the delivery is wrong right like we talked about last time mm-hmm. it is at its core it must have been created because it is like showing gratitude and love for the gift of life, right? And like bringing you into the world and the sacrifices parents made. But the delivery is like, you owe me this. You're obligated to do this for me. (laughs) So then of course the kids are like okay well we have to take care of you technically but like even by hearing that there's like conflict amongst all the family and whatnot just makes me feel like they missed the point it's like there's taking care of to check off the box but there isn't the like return of love and gratitude and like kindness that is at the core of what that tenant was founded on
0: yeah that's actually kind of what i related to as well just because we did talk in our episode regarding the relationships our parents had with their grandparents but i feel like this was like (laughs) even more of like a page six expose (laughs) on it which is like so interesting because we often tend to think at least for me i tend to think that my parents are kind of just cool with it like they're like whatever like we're happy about it but we can see I think it's generally most people are like mm. chafing against it in one way shape or form and I think we feel more even further away from that because we weren't even born in a society where yeah. everyone else is kind of doing the same thing like we're so far removed from that where we're like looking at it and we're like this doesn't make any sense at all like I love, you know, if I want to love my parents, I love my parents and I show that love how I want to, but there shouldn't be an obligation that says, like, I must do X, Y, and Z in order to showcase that I care about my parents.
1: I love that her parents are more willing to, like, adapt because even though they were born Mm -hmm. in China and were the ones who moved to the U.S., they clearly have, like, very much embraced the, the Western, like, positive sides of western culture and like mm-hmm. decided to actively rid themselves of the like toxic parts of eastern culture and i i just love that it's the perfect way to to adopt the two identities i think it's like cherry pick the best parts of yeah both.
0: flexibility is key and i think it's where we both also landed and probably where amy will land as well in terms of how you want to approach filial piety right you don't want to be locked into like a contractual agreement with t-mobile <laughs> for the rest of your life like you know you want to like enjoy the time you have with the people you love the yeah. way you want
1: to yeah and i love that she's unexpectedly filial although she was taught to be unfilial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's get into our last story of the day this one is slightly different because it comes from sarah who is not an Asian-American, she is an ally, (laughs) if that's the right term. Okay, so I remember complaining when we were studying abroad in Madrid about feeling like an outsider. I couldn't go outside without someone yelling rubia at me, and people were rude all the time when I tried to speak Spanish. This is nothing in comparison to your experience of racism, and I shut it down because I was having a pity party for myself. I still think about that a lot and feel really ashamed. I never apologized for that and told myself you probably didn't remember anyway. Listening to the podcast made me feel like I should have been a more supportive friend at that time. Even if you don't remember that specific instance, I still was contributing to that. I'm sorry for not listening to you then. Hearing you both mention feeling like an outsider made me reflect on how I've done shitty things like that and how they might have more of an impact on someone that I might have realized. I think stories and different perspectives, like on your podcast, are really helpful, just broadening people's perspectives and making them empathetic. Yay!
0: Thank you. I think that it's really interesting because we've talked a lot about how the concepts of identity overlap with some concepts of stereotypes, which all overlap with some concepts of racism and I think with all these things is like initially it can be very isolating to be put in that situation and I think I definitely see that in the story so I just want to say about that experience I think for anyone when you're accused of being something negative that's related to your actual being like a sexist comment hasn't made for you or a racist comment or anything like that A lot of people tend to turn inwards and you're kind of stuck in that space for a while until you feel so comfortable with whatever it was that the person attacked you with. Like now you're so comfortable in being a woman, a man being trans, or you're so comfortable in being Asian or African-American or whatever, that it doesn't bother you. Then you open up and once you do that, you start to see. Most everyone has had an experience like that. And I think that's what I'm seeing here from Sarah, and which I think is great because the whole purpose of our podcast in general is to create this idea of community so that everyone can have an experience where they feel like they can be connected to other people. And this is one of those experiences.
1: Yeah. I obviously related a lot with her experience because we... Well, all of us here studied abroad in Madrid, but uh, (laughs) but like she was called Rubia, which means blonde. So I guess Mm -hmm. because yeah, like naturally blonde people are are not like prevalent, yeah, Yeah. in in Spain. So it was was more just like they called her that because she's like she stands out, right? And it was like Mm -hmm. the first time in her life. It sounds like that she was standing out in Mm, in, like a broader society. And I think you said this also happened to you, but like, yeah, you and I were called like Chino and Chino all the time while we were there because if (laughs) white people are few and far between, Asians are like even more ridiculously exotic, right? I think the difference though is that that experience for me in Spain was the most eye-opening for me as well, where I was like, I've never been so aware of being Asian Mm -hmm. as, as like living here. But when I do reflect on it now, it's like, Yes, but there are. We talk about this all the time. Like there are microaggressions where you are made Mm -hmm. to like be reminded of how you look and what like group you belong to, even in these like more diverse societies that we. Live in. So Spain was like this funhouse mirror version of (laughs) (laughs) microaggressions. We, yeah. I
0: think it's what I like to call casual racism, which (laughs) is that like when you tell people like that's wrong, they're like, oh no, I'm not racist.
1: Oh my God, I hate what it's it's not
0: that like you're overtly racist, but like the things that you're saying are still racist. Like, yes. And that's. I think that's the other thing that I wanted to say that's great about the story is that not all people have that revelation. Some people stay stuck in that inside yeah. world and you end up seeing people who can't relate to other people who see the things that are going on right now and they're like, oh my God, the shoes at Aldo are on fire oh God, instead seriously. of like what's happening with the people. So I think this is a really great example of someone who has also been through some kind of really uncomfortable commentary about themselves took some time to digest it and then opened back up to share their story and to be enveloping in their experience
1: yeah i i do love that she was able to reflect on it now and like see Mm -hmm. how it is parallel to a lot of our stories as well but it kind of also makes me like sad in a way because she like literally had to be in our shoes to understand that Mm. so it makes it hard for me to imagine other people who don't physically like get insulted or like attacked or whatever in the same way that people of color do that they are not going to be able to empathize with that unless they're put in a similar situation which I wouldn't wish on anyone but like I wish empathy could be like more easily understood yeah. feeling than than yeah. having to like experience it yourself.
0: I agree with what you said. I don't think anyone really wants to go through <laughs> go through what that means, and I can't even imagine what that experience might be like for the African community right now. Oh but I don't think that anyone is saying in general. I don't think anyone is saying like you you should understand the pain exactly as is. Like it's a yeah. learning process for everybody, especially as you mentioned those people who will never understand what it means because. They don't walk in our shoes. They, they can't. They don't look the same way. They don't have the same upbringing. But the idea is that you examine how you're thinking about it and ask questions and like strive to understand. That's yeah. the point. It's not that you're ever going to achieve 100% understanding of, of what's happening and someone yeah. else's life experience.
1: And that is exactly why we're doing these listener stories. Yes. <laughs> Give a megaphone to everyone to tell your personal experiences so we can all learn from each other.
0: Welcome back to what is normally the fortune cookie section of our podcast, but now we're going to be taking listener questions. If you guys don't know already, aside from the stories that we're telling in the front half of Reflections, we're also taking listener questions. So if there was something you didn't quite understand in one of the episodes, or you just had a follow-up question regarding the topic or something you wish would have been covered, please do send it to us. Email us at telluswhereyou'refrom at gmail.com. As always, that's Y-O-U-R-E.
1: The question for today is, is there a split between the family that is still in Taiwan and the family living in America? Do you feel that there is any jealousy or bitterness?
0: Mm, That is such a tricky question. (laughs) Okay. So, obviously very two different sides of my family on my mom's side of the family it's really just my mom that lives in the states everyone else okay. is still back in taiwan i don't know if there's any jealousy or bitterness per se but definitely i know that my mom misses her family a yeah. lot and she misses like the moments that you can only experience or be a part of like when you're there and you know, my grandparents are getting older, so I definitely know that there's some wistfulness on her behalf to be there more frequently and be more present. On the other hand, I do think that she's kind of resigned to the fact that she's going to be living here like forever until she passes. Her and my dad paid for a plot in Rose Hills. Which Dude, my the-
1: parents did the same shit.
0: Rose Hills is like the Beverly Hills of where you want to be buried <laughs> when you're dead. It is so popular. So, yeah, I think she's kind of resigned and made peace with the fact that she's probably gonna live here until she passes. Mm. And then on my dad's side of the family, I don't know if there's any jealousy or business because of the distance, but definitely a result of the distance is that some family members were not able to be caring for my dad's mom and dad when they were kind of getting to their end of life stages. As we discussed in the filial piety episode, like that can create so many tensions. So my second oldest uncle was in Taiwan the entire time. So he basically wasn't able to do really anything because they're so Mm. far. And then there was a lot of expectations placed on my oldest uncle, who's the eldest, obviously, is the doctor and like basically makes a ton of money. And he also lived pretty close to my grandparents, like no closer to LA which is like 45-minute drive, but still pretty close. So I think from that perspective, there was definitely some tension because they were kind of like, you're the oldest. Like, Mm. you should be assuming most of the responsibilities. And he probably, like us, didn't really feel that way. Like, we're all here. Like, we should all share the responsibility. So I definitely felt that there was some undercurrents of (laughs) tension there
1: interesting mm-hmm. on my side I feel like similar to yours in that like the mom side and the dad side is, is very different like I already said I'm not as close to my dad's side because he's the youngest of the many siblings so like all my cousins are a lot older than I am <laughs> so it's hard to relate to them uh, <laughs> Please don't listen to this episode <laughs> i feel bad no but i'm already like naturally much closer to my mom's side because i spent more time with them when i did go back to taiwan so similar to yours i don't think there's jealousy or bitterness per se but there's a like unspoken divide because yeah. like you just can't get as close to people that you yeah. aren't around all the time so like yeah. i am the closest from like the cousin's side with the ones who moved to america because i was able to like either live with them for part of my life or like spend a lot of time with them and the aunts and uncles there too so like when we we're all back in taiwan it's easier for me to like gravitate towards the people i'm comfortable with than to try to like extend to the the cousins that i like haven't seen in eight years or whatever mm-hmm. right so it's not it's not jealousy or bitterness it's really just like level of comfort because of how close we were able to get with which country you happen to be in but with that said when i do talk to my cousins about where they're at with their lives and like how much money Mm, well mm. we we didn't talk about how much money we're making to like compare ourselves it was more just like i don't know it, it like somehow came up They weren't bitter towards me that I was going to make a ton more money than they were. It was more just like a sad reality that we both accepted that like this is due to the fact that like we live in different countries where the standard of living is very different. So that's just how it is. So there's a sense of guilt on my side, if anything else, not really jealousy or bitterness.
0: So in summary, family is complicated, but not (laughs) overtly jealous or bitter. Yes. Not yet. Thank you for the question.
1: Yes. So as per usual, we would love if you could help promote us. So if you haven't already, like, follow, and subscribe to us, please do. But the newer thing that we keep pushing now is if you could rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, that would help a lot in getting us up in the search ranks. So please do that if you can and come back next time for a new episode. And with that... Zaijian, bitches!